Good morning. Good morning. Um, I don't know if you guys have, have noticed or not, uh, but uh, our country is in the midst of election season. <laughs> and uh, I think about the only way that you wouldn't uh, notice that is if you live uh, just completely in isolation, cut off from uh, all electricity and all technology, because it seems like there's no escaping it. Um, and so one of the things we thought actually might be worth just sort of kind of talking about this head on, talking about what does it mean for us to sort of live in this tension between two kingdoms, living in both the kingdom of this world, but also acknowledging that we live as citizens of the kingdom of God. And one thing, every election season for me, I'm brought back to the year 1996. I was in second grade. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. Uh, <laughs> I was in second grade, and one of the, way, one of the things that my teacher uh, wanted to do was to sort of teach our class a little bit about our democratic system and how elections work. So what we did is we held a mock election in our second, second grade classroom. And if you remember, that 1996 election was between President Bill Clinton, the incumbents, and Senator Bob Dole, the, the Republican Party Candidates, And so I remember the anticipation building as, as election day drew near. And so we, we got to go into our little uh, election booth in our classroom, and, and we all got to go and, and cast our votes for our candidates. And in that election, Bob Dole won in a landslide. He captured 96% of the popular vote. This was a Lutheran school. It is worth noting that. <laughs> 96% of the popular vote. In other words, 25 of 26 second graders cast their vote for the former Kansas senator. Now, I would learn later, and, and to my great shock and surprise, uh, my second grade class was not representative of the rest of the country, <laughs> or even the state of Minnesota for that, for that matter, because Bill Clinton, to, to my great shock, would, would go on to, to win the election, to serve his second term as president, and, and I was devastated as a second grader. I did not understand how 25, 7, and 8-year-olds could get it wrong. But, you know, as I look back at that, I realize now that really all that 25 second graders voting for a Republican candidate meant was that there were 25 conservative families who would be voting for, that, for Bob Dole. I realized that the, the reason that I voted the way that I did as a second grader, it was not because of foreign policy or economics. It was because, well, that's who mom and dad were voting for. Right? I, I voted for the guy that I thought was supposedly the good guy. And, and as I think back to that moment, you know, I realized something about our worldly politics. Our worldly politics, they have sort of a religious character to them. I mean, think about the way that our politics work. I mean, we begin indoctrinating young people right, from a very young age as, as to, to what is good and what is bad in politics. We instill these political values and, and then we go and, and we participate in these political liturgies like, like voting and, 
and pledging our allegiance? And we take part in, in evangelism by going and canvassing for a certain candidate. All with the hopes that, that, that our prayers will be answered and the government will respond to our requests favorably. There is a certain religious character to our worldly political systems. But at the same time, we need to acknowledge that there is a certain political character to our Christian faith. We pray each and every week, Thy kingdom come. We confess in our creeds that Jesus is Lord over everything. We believe that one day all authorities are going to bow at the name of Jesus, whether they like it or not. There's a certain political element to our faith. Now, now my point here is not to say that, that you should disdain America or you should refuse to participate in worldly politics. My point here is that we acknowledge the tension that exists between our faith and our political systems. My point is not to say that you should not vote. But my hope is that during election season, and during all seasons, election or not, that we would remember where our true citizenship lies. That we would remember that by baptism we have been made sons and daughters of the living God who reigns as Lord over all things. That to Him belongs everything and that He promises to work everything according to His purposes. And my hope is that by remembering where our true lasting citizenship lies as citizens of the kingdom of God, that we might be able to enter into election seasons with a little bit less anxiety, with a little bit less fear about the future, because we know that everything belongs to God, and we know that it all is reigned over by Jesus, in whom everything holds together. And I don't know about you, but that to me sounds like pretty good news, don't you think? Now, as we look at the Gospel of Matthew, we see language about the kingdom of God all over the place. And as we enter into Matthew chapter 5, these the really kind of the first public discourse of Jesus, we see him begin to describe what citizens of his kingdom and his disciples look like. Most people uh, who, who read uh, these, these passages and, and scholars mostly agree that these Beatitudes are not intended to describe different groups of people, but are all intended to describe one group of people, disciples of Jesus. That if you belong to Christ, if you follow Him, these words describe you. And, and there's also intended to be kind of a certain order to what Jesus says here. And so as we read him say, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that sort of each each beatitude sort of creates the ones to follow. So in other words, if you are poor in spirit, if you are one who is spiritually poor, recognizing that there is nothing good in you in the sight of God, well, what's that going to cause you to do? It's going to cause you to mourn your sin and your emptiness. 
And that spiritual poverty and mourning is going to humble you and lead you to recognize that you are meek and lowly. And being humbled in such a way, it's going to cause you to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God because you recognize that you have none of your own. And to all of these states of poverty, Jesus actually calls us blessed. Jesus calls us blessed in all of these states because he said, you who are poor in spirit, you who have nothing in yourself, are going to inherit the kingdom of God. That that you who mourn are going to be comforted when you receive that kingdom. You who are meek and lowly are going to inherit the very earth that the rich and the powerful constantly war over. That you who, who hunger and thirst for righteousness because you have none of your own are going to be filled with the very righteousness of the Messiah. And for all of these, we are rightly called blessed. That the kingdom of God and and the kingdom of Jesus, the one that He has come to bring, is all about giving to those who have nothing, everything. We, we see here in these words of Jesus really this great reversal where the kingdom of God is not bestowed upon the powerful. It's not bestowed upon the strong. It's bestowed upon those who recognize their weakness and their lowliness. Jesus comes to fulfill our emptiness. And having received such grace, how could we be anything but but Merciful. Having received such mercy, how how could we do anything but go and show mercy to others? How could we desire anything but purity of heart and obedience to the Son of God? Having received this peace with God, how could we be anything except for peacemakers, people who go and seek to extend that peace to others? And that's precisely what we are. As disciples of Jesus, we are people who have received mercy and then go in mercy. We are people who follow and are obedient to Jesus. We're people who make peace. And because of this, Jesus again calls us blessed. Because we're going to receive mercy when He comes in judgment on the last day. As people who are pure in heart and obedient to Jesus, we are, we are going to actually see God face to face. As peacemakers, we are going to be called sons of God. And for all of this, Jesus, He calls us blessed. And, and as we look at these descriptions of, of citizens of the kingdom of God, we see very clearly that it doesn't exactly line up with the kingdoms of our world, does it? That the people who inherit the kingdom of God don't look like those who inherit the kingdoms of the world. See, because we're very familiar with with those who inherit kingdoms and authority, they're the strong, they're the powerful. They're the people who can exercise power and control over others. I mean, everything from looking at the regime of a dictator to to rallying a voter base to to decide who's going to be president or or who's going to control Congress or Senate. All of it circles around who is going to be in authority. 
Who gets to exercise power and control? Who gets to dictate the laws and the policies that shape people's thinking? Are we going to be a progressive nation or a conservative nation? What is going to be called good and what's going to be called bad? The answer that we're familiar with is, well, those in power. But Jesus stands up before his disciples and he says, my kingdom belongs to those with nothing. And it shouldn't really surprise us that, look, that this looks altogether upside down. Because the king that we worship is a king who reigns in weakness. We have a king who comes and his notion of progress is called dying to yourself daily. We, we have a king whose idea of winning looks like being beaten and mocked and spit upon. We, we have a king whose way of making creation great again is suffering and dying on a cross at the hands of wicked and sinful men. The king that we worship is a weak king. And therefore we preach a very different kind of kingdom. And it should come as no surprise when we're people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. It should come as no surprise when, when we're reviled or, or persecuted falsely on account of Jesus. Because the king and the kingdom that we believe in, the king and the kingdom that we belong to, that we are citizens of, are entirely different than the kingdoms of our world. Uh, there's a man by the name of, of Martin Franzman. He was a professor at the, the seminary that both uh, Pastor Brad and myself graduated from, Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. And I was long before uh, either of us were there. Uh, but he wrote a book uh, on the Gospel of Matthew. It's called Follow Me. And, and really centers in on, on the theme of discipleship in Matthew's Gospel. And he notes that outside of the Beatitudes, outside of these verses, the word blessed only occurs Four times. And each and every time it occurs, it has to do with the disciples' relationship to the Messiah. The point being that to be blessed is to belong to Jesus. That when you belong to Him, you are rightly called blessed. We're not called blessed because we have anything in and of ourselves. No, we are not called blessed because we are people of power and authority. We are called blessed because we have Jesus. You know, if we find ourselves overly concerned with who is in power and who is in authority, we're constantly going to find ourselves filled with some sense of fear and anxiety. When you spend about five seconds on either Facebook or Twitter, you, you see it, right? You see more and more reasons why if X candidate wins, America is doomed. And, and the world as we know it is going to change. When we're concerned with this above all else, we're going to be filled with fear and anxiety. But see, here's the blessing of being 
a, a citizen of God's kingdom. Here's the blessing of belonging to Jesus. Is his kingdom and his plans for creation don't depend on us. God's purposes for creation don't depend on us getting it right. The, the future that he has in store for us, it does not rest on us getting the right legislation down. But God's kingdom, rather than resting on us, rests solely on Jesus. It rests solely on Jesus, the one who comes and reigns through his cross and resurrection. And because of that, we can have confidence. We can have confidence that, that no matter what happens in the future... No matter the uncertainty of of the season, we know that God reigns over all things and He is going to accomplish all things according to His purposes. That we don't have to be riddled with fear and anxiety during this season. Because we know the end of the story, right? So you who are spiritually poor, you, you who mourn, your sin and repentance. You who are, who are lowly and empty. You are blessed. You are blessed because you belong to Christ, who is king over all things. May this blessing cause you to go in mercy and extend mercy to those who have extended only anger and hatred. May it cause you to go and bring peace and purity into places of anger and chaos and fear. May knowing that you belong to this king and that you are a citizen of his kingdom, may it constantly remind you that no matter the circumstances, no matter the future that our world faces, we are blessed. Amen? Amen.